Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Micah 5.2 Yet again another prophecy from the Old Testament. This is important stuff and heralds not only a new time for mankind, but the beginning of our salvation history. Micah wrote it more than 700 years before Christ, and the Magi quoted it to Herod when they were searching for the, for the child Christ. Epiphany is this time of year, 12 days after Christmas, and we're told that the child Jesus was manifested to the rest of the world, represented by the wise men or Magi, who followed a star to the child's home so that they could pay homage. As we celebrate the new year and look back on what has passed and forward to what will come, let us not fret about our lives on earth. They are spoken for when we truly believe that God is the answer to all our human frailties. Instead, let us rest confidently in the knowledge that we're saved. And in our gatherings to bring in 2013, we can be a witness by our actions and words to others so that they may wonder, why is she so calm or why is he so filled with joy? And in their wondering, come to know the power of our faith as Christians and take a first step to join us as we set our sights on heaven and do not let the troubles of our earthly life consume us. May you grow in the love of your Lord this year and allow his kingship to govern your lives and all whom you touch. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, only a few more days left in 2012 and I'm going to take my customary look backwards before looking forward because, you know, a lot of the time we wonder where the year went, don't we? I've invited a few friends who have been guests on my show to do the same. Laura Lee Ellis, Walter Lemons, Shanna Godfrey, Luke Holtzman and Jennifer Miller will give us a few new ideas and some gentle reminders on looking after ourselves during the new year. Let's have a little sit down with a cup of tea and a piece of Christmas cake and take time out to reminisce as we look towards 2013. My homeschooling days were always so full that a year flew by in a blink of an eye, or so it seemed. I'd come to New Year's Eve and think, wow, what did we do? As the historian of the family had plenty of documentation to remind me, but as a quick question asked at a party or fellowship at church, I draw a blank and think, well, what did we do? I made a habit of summarising the year in our children's baby books. I do it during the celebrations, and by the time I had four children, the task took longer than an hour or two. I was organised, though, because I had calendars I used to keep, one in each child's room that I'd write in daily, things that they'd done, words they'd learned, teeth they'd lost, tantrums they'd had. No, just joking. So the summarising was easy. I'd also sort through all the photographs and fill up their albums, one for each child and one for us. This illustrated our activities and milestones. Of course, we had video, which, coupled with the photos, are still the children's favourite keepsakes. 
As a journaler myself, I'd finish by writing a few paragraphs or a poem about our year. Sometimes it formed the basis of our Christmas letter, and by the end of the exercise, I was relieved that although the 12 months had indeed flown by, I had used every moment of my time wisely and economically. Let's take a moment to listen to my first contributor this week, Laura Ellis, who's living in Oxford, a university town in England, with her husband and two young children. She's been a guest on my show three times, most recently, November 2011. Here are some of the promises the new year holds for her as she explores taking life one step at a time with the Lord. Hello, this is Laura Ellis with Sunlight Curriculum, and I'm here homeschooling my children in Oxford, England. And Vivian had asked me what the the coming year looks like for me, what the new year holds. And I just, I love the fresh start of a new year. A new year always beckons me into greener, untouched pastures with enthusiasm. My enthusiasm, however, is not always accompanied by a realistic plan. And uh, they say goals should be measurable and achievable. And so that, I think, is my my goal for this new year, not so much resolutions and promises, uh, but really thinking through measurable and attainable goals for the year for myself. Um, so I've been thinking through, I've been making notes and preparing my, my heart um, and my spirit just to be have a year where I will walk with the Lord and it will be in tune with what he wants me to do as I raise my children. But also just some very specific practical um, thoughts as I'm thinking about making my resolutions. And uh, one of those that's come to mind is to make, to develop one habit at a time. I always want to transform everything that I do in one huge lump. And I've decided that I'm just going to pick one at a time and make that into a habit. And when I've got a hold on that, then add something else. And um, I, I remember in college, I would come home for the winter break. And I, I read actually in my journal back when I was about 18 and in my journal I had this to-do list for the winter break and it started with learn another language and it ended with write a novel. And that was the list for the six week break between terms. And I've always had that problem. I've always had a list that's too long for, for the amount of time available. And so that's part of my focus is saying pick one thing and do that well. Um, and also not to just make habits. I want to make habits uh, actually cultivate something that I want to do rather than just try to stop something. So, uh, you know, rather than say I'm not eating any biscuits this year, we're just going to go for eating, you know, healthy foods, trying to get more fruits and vegetables, you know, on our table for our family. Uh, rather than trying not to do something, we're going to try to aim for something that we want to do. And, um, and I'm also trying not to get up and caught up in perfectionism or comparison this year. I think that's a big thing that's an obstacle for me to, you know, reach some of those resolutions. And um, I have great aspirations of um, memorizing long passages of poetry and the Bible and making these cute memory cards on scrapbook paper and laminating them and putting them on my wall in the form of art. And then it never happens. And uh, when I had a newborn daughter, Grace, uh, I actually just jotted down a few verses in the back of an envelope and I kept it near a chair where I'd be feeding her. And when I literally had a couple of minutes, I would glance at that and rather than spend those two minutes uh, beating myself up for not having made those scripture cards yet, I actually was able to spend that time just meditating and thinking and memorizing, which is my goal. And it's not 
the back of the envelope is not really where I want to be long term with that goal, but it made a difference for me in spending that time in the way I wanted to at that moment. Um, and so I'm hoping that I can find ways, even if it's just to do something in a messy way or a part way, that I'm taking a step toward doing what I really want to do this year. Just that one step forward, one step closer to some goals that I want to reach. And uh, my husband, Nick, is actually, within this year, is finishing finishing his dissertation. So this year will be a year of finishing, saying goodbye to friends from all over the world, uh, and also a year of hellos. We won't know uh, until just a couple months before we move what country we'll be living in, what language we'll be learning to speak, uh, where he will be getting a job. Uh, so there will be lots of new things for the year and lots of goodbyes and finishing well. And um, so I think... That's also given me the goal of celebrating this year, just celebrating the little, the milestones along the way. Uh, I think if we waited to celebrate my husband's dissertation until his graduation, it would be a long four years. So we try to say we'll celebrate the end of writing a chapter. We celebrate, you know, the finding of that key quote that he's looking for in his research. And we, um, we try to celebrate the little things along the way that just keep us going. And, uh, I'm trying to give myself lots of deadlines this year besides just the end of the year so that I don't just hit new year's next year and think, where did the time go? But that I can mark my progress and, um, and hopefully draw some friends in with me. I'm hoping to get together with a group of girls and say, what do we really want this year to look like? And how can we encourage each other in some of them, in some of our goals and, and talk about that with each other and, and kind of celebrate for one another? Um, so who knows? I have big dreams and plans for the new year. And I think the main thing with all of the change that will be coming is just uh, to continue to be flexible. I'm excited about a year of teaching my son uh who knows, maybe this will be the year that he'll learn to read. He's just uh, turned three this summer, and he's so into these wonderful books. And I'm just trying to enjoy every moment, just sit back and and uh, enjoy my family. So that's that's the goal for this year. And hopefully we'll be welcoming the kids, lots of new traditions with our children and, and lots of time to kind of help them get the idea of what a new year means in our family. So this is Laura Lee Ellis wishing you a peaceful and enriched new year. Thanks for listening. I laughed when she said her goal for a six-week break were to learn a new language and write a book. When we're young, we do set, set such unrealistic goals and then wonder why they're unachievable. This past year, with the shock of having my best laid plans blown asunder when my mother died only days after my arrival in England to live with and care for her, I began to accept and hear what was being said about not fretting or worrying about things I had no control over. With that change in mindset, I was able to take a piece of advice offered by some guests last New Year to be fully present in the moment. What does that mean exactly? Well, for me, it's a whole attitude change, a surrender I've been working on for years and which finally was released to me when I accepted I didn't have control over anyone or anything except myself. You'd think that that was an easy one, but we are willful and power-crazy folk as humans, and we think we can control anything we wish. When I allowed myself to let go of this yearning for power, I became filled with another kind of power, the power of peace. When I was preparing my Christmas letter this year, it was as full as ever because we were beastly busy creatures in London, but there was a difference. There was no sense of the manic. And I didn't come to the end of the year feeling drained and wondering what on earth I'd been up to the last 12 months while I was away. On looking back, here are some of the gifts I took away from our gap year. 
Thirteen months in England was a rewarding and contemplative time, a time put aside and spent apart from the trappings of the customary, a series of hours to prepare for the next phase in life, no matter what it may be, college, marriage, emptiness or retirement. Prayer and worship, together with community and discovery, were invaluable tools that allowed my blue-eyed cowboy and me to grow closer to each other and our creator. I was able to open up spiritually and spent time discerning what it was God had planned for my future. Our stay in London was very much a coming home for me, of course. Watching my Texan and daughter adapt to the pace of life with remarkable ease was a joy only a true lover of her country can experience. To my mind, they became honorary Londoners as they unraveled the mystery of public transportation using travel passes and an Oyster card. They grocery shopped with a wheelie basket and navigated the slow and oft confusing red tape of the national health to the extent that my cowboy managed to have keyhole surgery on his shoulder and Malia popped into the doctor's office regularly for coughs, sniffles and twisted ankles without a penny in her pocket. I also had the pleasure of watching Daltz perform several times, as that was the goal of her sojourn, first at Olympia in Earl's Court for a dance convention called Move It, then in the pre-game show at Wembley Stadium for the FA Cup, which was televised worldwide, several times at her school for competitions, and finally her two shows at the Shaw Theatre near Euston Station, where she sang and danced in most of the numbers and sealed her true calling for the stage. I learned to appreciate ordinary things. And my next contributor after the break, Walter Lemons, who was on my show on November the 16th this year, will help to bring into focus the importance of living in the moment. Walter was the technical director of the Garland Performing Arts Centre when we first met him. And after the break, you will hear what he has to say about what the year, New Year, means to him. How do you handle toddlers, teens and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Hi, this is Walter Lemons, Technical Director at the MCL Grand Theater in Louisville, Texas. Uh, this last year has been something new for me. I've been fighting cancer since March of uh, 2012. While I've known people who've been sick before or had a surgery, I never really knew you know, how devastating an illness like this could be. 
this next new year, I'll be uh, experiencing a newfound empathy that I've just never needed, never known was needed by uh, my fellow man. I had no idea what it was like to be sick. I've uh, always been something of a Boy Scout and wanted to be of service uh, to friends and family and others. And this year, I want to be able to return the love and prayers and support that I've received from family and friends and strangers. Uh, It's just been absolutely tremendous, the amount of support that I've had this last year. So this next year, I want to be able to return that love and support. Uh, Some friends have told me that my uh, fight's been courageous and uh, inspirational to them. Well, I'm not quite sure to how to focus my inspiration, my courage uh, to be of service to others. But this next year, you know, God will show me a way. He'll show me how how I can make a difference for others. But also, you know, I want to be me. I love my job. I love my coworkers. And I want to continue to work. Earning a paycheck is a big part of that. Uh That way I have money to do those things that I want to do. Also, you know, I'm a ham radio operator, uh, Skywarn net control station. So uh, I love that hobby and I love being of service to the community that way, uh, watching out for uh, weather. So I want to be able to pursue the ham radio. Also, traveling. I love to travel. Uh, New York, London, Ireland, three places that I want to go this next year. Additionally, then never been to New York. Been doing theater for thirty years and never been to New York. But like I said to begin with, this is going to be a new learning experience for me. Uh, but I'm happy to be here. God has given me a chance to learn and uh, make myself of service to Him for uh, for another year. So I am looking forward to that. That's about it. Uh, my name again, Walter Lemons. And I'm wishing every one of you a happy new year. I sure plan to have one. Sometimes we think being productive means being on the go all the time. And in reality, our to-do list very often doesn't include passive things that are equally important to relationships. Who puts sit and hold hands with a loved one for 10 minutes on a to-do list? A lot of time our list is interrupted by things such as these and sad is the situation when we pass up a moment to rub a child's back or have a cup of tea with a visiting son who's just popped in to use the washing machine. Yet these moments, even if they take us away from what we have to get done that day, are every bit as important. Last year a friend of mine suggested we also have a did-do list, only that we fill it in at the end of the day while checking off or not items that were on our to-do list. Only the other day I had a deadline to beat with one of my shows and Dortz got up from her nap, she works at 5.30 in the morning, and came into my office and said, I'm grabbing a bite to eat in the kitchen if you want to come chat. Now, with the mellowness of age, I got up and joined her thinking, well, I can always work late into the night after dinner when she's in bed, which I do. So I find that both my lists are full at the end of the day. While in England we spent some precious moments with family, We entertained my brother and his two boys every other week. We spent weekends with cousins in their cathedral cities, Canterbury and Salisbury, and took a trip down memory lane with our aunts in Broadstairs, the seaside town my parents retired to. 
Although we weren't included in family gatherings as often as I would have liked, I understood that during the years I spent in America growing and raising a family, they too have carved out their own lives in England without us. And at first the idea was a lonely one, but I cherished all the moments they, they found for me and I had the photographs to keep. Being away made the visits each of our three children paid us more meaningful. We spent rare one-on-one time with them, entertaining and spoiling them. We happily played tourists for their cameras and built on the foundation started in their childhoods that England is their home too. For the first time, they travelled on their own as British citizens and they can all work in the country and are slowly beginning to understand the advantages of being dual citizens. And the weather in England was not extreme, though our flat was so well insulated and warm that we hardly noticed the cold until we went outside. Apparently, it was a mild winter, the first in many years that lasted most of the year until we left in the middle of July. We shed our jeans, our Uggs, our sweater scarves and jackets, no joke, in New York in favour of shorts, T-shirts and flip-flops. And on one of the few days it snowed, and I hear it's snowing now, I awoke to a fox standing in the rose garden outside my lounge at dawn, his redness stark against the white. Later that day, the pond at Kelsey Park had frozen, and on it sat hundreds of gulls, geese and ducks, looking for all the world as if they were walking on water. In the evening, when we walked home from working the pantomime, we were embraced with gently falling snow, which landed and stuck along our path and transported us to the winter of C.S. Lewis's Narnia. Three magical moments to enjoy in the foreverness of memory. Let's go to Shanna Godfrey now, a previous guest from July 15th and October 7th, 2011. She has 14 children and homeschools them all. And here's what she expects from the new year. Hello, this is Shauna Godfrey. I'm a former rocket scientist and a mom of 14 children. I've homeschooled my children off and on over the years, depending on my work situation, but I always made sure they could read by kindergarten. So what does the new year mean for me? Well, for me, the new year is a reminder that God is not finished with me yet, that he always gives us second chances. We women are too hard on ourselves, always comparing to other people. A new year is a reminder that we can let go of the past and try again, and I think we need that. Barbara B. Smith said, Ideals are stars to steer by, not a stick to beat ourselves with. And she's right, and I think the same of New Year's resolutions. There's always hope. Never give up on yourself and keep trying. How will this coming year be different from last year? Well, another one of my children grew up and moved away, so I have one less child at home now. I only have the youngest three left, which is really easy. You'd think that by the time the 11th child grows up and leaves, it would get easier, but it doesn't. Each child's unique and has his or her special place in my heart. But I will have to say, having only three is so easy, so life will be a little slower, a little easier this coming year. Um, Some of the traditions that we have in our family are that our New Year's resolutions actually start on Christmas Eve. We realize that it is Jesus' birthday, so we bake him a birthday cake and sing happy birthday to Jesus. Then we ask, what are we going to give him as a gift, like the Magi did? We realize the best thing we can give him is our New Year's resolutions, to improve ourselves, get rid of our bad habits, or behave better. So years ago, we started a tradition where we took a shoebox 
and slit a hole in the lid and wrap the lid and the shoebox separately in gift paper. And then we write our personal New Year's revolutions on three by five cards on Christmas Eve and put them in the box. We also keep a copy for ourselves. Then the next year on Christmas Eve, we open the box and we read our cards and we see how we did. And sometimes we get a good laugh and then we make our new resolutions. Sometimes we did improve something or we did change a bad habit. Sometimes we keep working on last year's goal for this year. But it was always fun for each of us to take stock and try again. Christmas Eve for us or even New Year's Day is a good time for reflection. What worked, what didn't, how we might do things differently. How do we keep our New Year's resolutions fresh throughout the year? Well, to tell you the truth, we usually forgot about our cards partway through the year. But just the act of writing them down and putting them in the box often keeps them in our subconscious. And at the next Christmas, we would find that many of our goals had actually resolved themselves, that we'd worked on them without realizing it, that progress had still happened. Remember, there are stars to steer by, not set in stone. And perhaps by identifying them and giving them to Jesus, he helped us achieve some of them, I like to think. Another tradition is that New Year's Eve is family-oriented with us. We always spend it with the children, eating snacks, playing games, watching the ball drop on Times Square on the TV. Uh, When midnight strikes, the children love to take pots and pans and big metal spoons and run around outside and bang them as loud as they can. I don't know if the neighbors like it, but it's really fun for us. (laughs) We go make a lot of noise and have a great time. And the children think it's fun to stay up late. So it's a special day. Now, do I have any special plans for the coming year? Um, I keep my yearly calendar flexible for unexpected family events, such as the birth of a new grandchild, a wedding, a graduation, Uh, whatever comes up in the lives of my young adults and their families and my parents. We always fit the family reunion into the schedule, and that's pretty special. Um, How do I prepare for the new year? To tell you the truth, I think I'm so happy the holiday season has ended that the new year is a welcome break. But then it's time to prepare for tax season, so the break is kind of short. As far as preparing for the coming year, I like to make goals for my business as well as my personal and family goals. I like to pray and ponder and meditate, trying to listen to what God wants for me. I write down the thoughts and promptings I get and try to plan around them. There are a couple of good books I've used. Um, One is called The 12-Week Year by Brian P. Moran, and the other one's called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. They're really good for helping to organize and and, uh, pinpoint goals. In my circle of colleagues and writers, there's a lot of talk about the law of attraction or the secret. And these may be good principles, but I remind myself that the universe is the creation, not the creator. And that I need to be in tune with what his will is for me, not the other way around. Now, how would I suggest we could look after ourselves in the coming year? Well, especially with homeschooling, we need to avoid mother burnout, don't you think? The best way to do this is to not try to mimic a public school schedule. 
And for new moms just starting uh, homeschooling, sometimes that's kind of a, a goal they have, but they don't need to do that. Hartman Rector Jr. suggests using Mondays to clean up from the weekend and teach children how to do chores and learn to work. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays can be less in days, but no more than four hours a day. Keep it simple for success and keep it joyous. And then Fridays can be used for field trips to go see how the world works. And this kind of schedule usually keeps mother happier and healthier and learning more fun. And I think as moms, we need to take care of ourselves and our stress levels and and give ourselves a break and some time. Um, Some advice on living a stress-free life? Well, stress is always attitude and outlook, isn't it? Remember that life is what happens when you're making other plans. And one of my favorite sayings is, this too shall pass. So I try to let go and let God. I love that book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and It's All Small Stuff. I mean, the title says it all, doesn't it? I gave up being perfect a long time ago, and that relieved a lot of stress. When I die, God is not going to say, hand me your wallet and step on that scale. He will want to know how well I learned to love other people, and that requires a flexible outlook on life for myself and others. You don't have to win every battle to win the war, and it doesn't matter how many times you fall, just how many times you get back up. So this is Shauna Godfrey wishing you an exciting 2013. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Tuggynet.com. The author of the book, Help My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better. To make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Togginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I love that thought. God is not finished with me yet. No, he isn't. As long as we're alive, we're his instruments. As the year winds down, we could look back on how our lives may have affected others. Not that we always know when that happens. Wouldn't it be easy if every time we touch someone in a positive way, they let us know? But then we could just as easily be brought up sharp in the knowledge that we negatively impacted someone, and that wouldn't be quite so uplifting. Perhaps this year, I'll endeavour to smile a little more, brightening someone's day. Hug a neighbour, because very often people spend years without being touched. 
People like my mother-in-law who lives alone and only gets a hug with one when one of her family visits. Do you take hugs for granted? My Texan and I like to take time to hug, to have an S-U-H. I found that abbreviation when I was going through some old writings of mine and couldn't remember for the life of me what it stood for. When I finally found the translation, I teased him with it, challenging him to remember what the initials stood for. And after wild attempts like, I need a hug right now, or let's have a cup of coffee, I told him, stand up hug. So we've reincorporated lots of those into our day. This year, my blue-eyed cowboy and I would like to affect a village in Africa, give some hugs to some of the people there. Last week, I mentioned a charity called CharityWater.org. And the fact that its founder, Scott Harrison, had served on the mercy ship Anastasia attracted us. Now, here's some of his story. In 2004, Scott Harrison left the streets of New York City for the shores of West Africa. He'd lived, for the most part, selfishly and arrogantly. Wealthy, but also desperately unhappy, he was facing spiritual bankruptcy and needed a change. He asked himself the question, what would the opposite of my life look like? He signed up for a volunteer service aboard a floating hospital with a group called Mercy Ships, a humanitarian organization which offered free medical care in the world's poorest nations. Mercy Ships had built a 25-year track record of astonishing results, yet he'd never heard of them. He took the position of ship photojournalist. He traded his spacious midtown loft for a 150-square-foot cabin with bunk beds, roommates and cockroaches. Once off the ship, he was utterly astonished at the poverty that came into focus through his camera lens. He was often brought to tears as he documented life and human suffering. He fell in love with Liberia, a country with no public electricity, running water or sewage. He met patients who taught him the meaning of courage, who were suffering yet pressing on, praying, hoping and surviving. It was an honour to photograph them, he said. It was an honour to know them. Scott returned to New York with a vision for a charity that would help provide clean, uncontaminated water to the people of Africa. He wanted all the money to go to digging wells. He didn't want it to be like any other charity, and it isn't. Most of us have never really been thirsty. We've never had to leave our houses and walk five miles to fetch water. We simply turn on the tap and water comes out, clean. Yet there are 800 million people on the planet who don't have clean water. It's hard to imagine what 800 million people looks like, really, but one in nine might be easier. One in nine people in our world don't have access to the most basic of human needs, something we take for granted and waste in huge quantities daily, something we can't imagine going 12 hours without. Our plan this year, God willing, is to dig a well, not physically, of course. With our donation will come a GPS location and we'll be able to watch its progress via Google. We know, unless we specify differently, that all of our money will go into the project and help a village in Africa. To check them out, www.charitywater.org is the name of the website. And just another example of young people making a difference for Christ's people. For us, the new year may also bring a new church. We haven't got over our parish church in Beckenham. I would go as often as I could because the year for me was like a sacred retreat where I worked on my relationship with God. To that end, we attended St. George's at regular intervals during the week. Tuesday evenings were often there were only five of us in the congregation, sometimes just the two of us. We would hear traffic grumbling outside while we prayed for the locals, sometimes 
tragic stories like the news of a young girl of 16 hurling herself in front of a fast train one evening because she was stressing about exams, her weight and her popularity at school. And we prayed for the people online whom she'd met who encouraged her to end her life, her parents, the train driver and everyone else involved. We prayed for the homeless. We prayed for those who felt unloved and those who were unloved and ignored. Our prayers felt powerful as we bonded in community in the four walls of the tiny Lady Chapel. We gathered on Wednesday mornings where the older members of the congregation fulfilled their weekly obligation at an easier time than Sunday morning mass. Often there were 30 of us. There was a promise of a cup of tea, a biscuit and fellowship afterwards. We attended the second Sunday mass, which was sung and had all the bells and smells every week. There were easily 250 people offering up their prayers and hearts to the Lord. Many families came with plenty of room for pushchairs and prams on the side aisles. This was a walking community, remember? Then there was Evensong each Sunday night, attended by about 10 people, often outnumbered by the faithful choir. We also took advantage of every feast day, St. Andrew, St. Peter and Paul, St. Luke, St. Matthew, the Immaculate Conception, the Annunciation, oh, and many, many more, again outnumbered by the choir and the altar party. Sometimes we'd be invited to join the choir at the high altar and sit opposite them in a very intimate setting. We were never asked to sing, though, thank goodness. Yes, we felt our prayers rising to heaven on clouds of incense and offering sweet and fragrant to the Lord. What a remarkably memorable year that was in our church. It was here we finally put my parents' ashes to rest in the churchyard. The spot I chose lay beneath the eastern stained glass window overlooking the high altar where the Eucharist was celebrated several times a week. A flaming rhododendron bush marked their stone's place, and I planted daffodil, daffodil bulbs around the perimeter to bloom in the springtime. And it's time for us to go and listen to my next contributor to the new year, Luke Holtzman, the son of John and Sarita Holtzman, founders of Sunlight Curriculum. Luke was homeschooled through eighth grade, then went to public high school because he wanted the challenge of being a Christian in a secular environment. Here's what he had to say when I asked what the new year meant to him. Hello, this is Luke Holtzman. I do web and social media stuff for Sunlight Curriculum, among other things. The new year, as a celebration, offers a chance to hang out with friends and family. Our tradition, which my wife brought to our household, is to make paper hats at our New Year's party. Everyone who's over makes one, and we snap a picture of our creative work at midnight. The new year also marks only four months until we launch our new Sunlight website and catalog April 1st. I can't share anything with you right now, but there's some really cool stuff coming. One of the mild frustrations of working on big projects is that you have to wait so long to tell people about them. And while four months is a third of the year, that time goes quickly. Aside from the cool new things we're working on here at Sunlight, I don't currently have any plans to make this coming year different. We'll continue to have kids over for movie night every Saturday. Brittany and I are still teaching Sunday school. When we have a chance, we look for strategic giving opportunities. This is a practice we started really pursuing last year and are working to grow in it even more. And I'll continue to work on my free film school. I have an idea for the next course I'm hoping to make, but we'll see if I can carve out enough free time to finish it. I don't currently actively prepare for the new year. I also don't make resolutions. I do, however, try to look back with gratitude for God's provision and grace over the last year. Again and again, as we read the Old Testament, God reminds his people to remember what he has done for them in the past, especially when they're facing a new challenge. I think recalling God's faithfulness helps build our faith. And resting in God's goodness, especially when following him through really hard times, is the best way I've seen to be free of stress. His grace is sufficient, and he provides peace that wouldn't make sense in any other context. Not that I figured all this out. 
But may God's goodness continue to lead us to repentance. May his faithfulness encourage us to be more faithful. And may his redemptive work spill over from our lives to the lives of those around us. This is Luke Holtzman. May you have a blessed and fruitful new year. Looking back in gratitude and resting in God's goodness, what grace-filled sentiments for a young man. I found in asking my question, what does the new year mean to you, everyone responded in a different way. They really thought about their answers, and I hope you're enjoying their ideas and suggestions and taking a peek into their preparations for welcoming in 2013. On a secular note, I fulfilled a lifetime dream during my gap year to be a part of a pantomime. I stage managed Jack and the Beanstalk for the local community theatre around the corner from where we lived. No, God is definitely not finished with me yet. With the church just up the road, I was able to nip away every time I heard the bells for prayer. Such a medieval and glorious call. Although we knew we had a year in London, and very often with that knowledge in our heads, one tends to do nothing initially, waiting until the last minute when those classic words spill from our mouths. Where did the year go? What did I do? Leading us to rush around playing catch up. We steadily took full advantage of the capital city from beginning to end. And here in a nutshell is what we did during the seven months last year before we returned to America. We made our favourite afternoon haunt the Odeon Cinema on the High Street. There we saw a good selection of films, including Mission Impossible, The Iron Lady, Man on a Ledge, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Hunger Games, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen and Snow White and the Huntsman. On the West End stage, we saw War Horse, The Lady Killers, Requiem for Titanic by Robin Gibb, Sunshine Boys with Danny DeVito, We Will Rock You, Rock of Ages, and 39 Steps and Mamma Mia. For places of interest, we visited the National Gallery, the British Museum, the National Portrait Gallery to see the Lucian Freud exhibit, the Old Bailey to witness a murder trial, the Churchill War Rooms, Camden Town, the Cutty Sark, the Science Museum, the Harry Potter exhibit at Warner Brothers Studio. We went twice, once with Ian and once with Malia. The British Library, Kew Gardens, St Paul's Cathedral three times with each one of our children. The Victorian Albert Museum, a dozen medieval churches in EC2. Portobello Road of fame, Notting Hill Gate, Kingston-on-Thames, the South End Pier, longest in the world at 1.6 miles the Diamond Jubilee celebrations and a pub crawl in Beckenham where we shared a half at each of the eight establishments. Last year, I took the time to improve my technical skills and surpassed my children in the art of tweeting and in so doing increased my listenership to this radio show by thousands. Thank you, everyone. They are impressed. I also mastered the skill of pre-recording my weekly show through Skype, which allowed me to take off a Friday at least once a month. I honed my blogging skills and wrote daily, although each blog takes about an hour as I craft and tweak it to read its best. I also added photographs that I take to enhance my words and have an impressive online journal, which is another way to see what I'm accomplishing as I do it. As well as blogging on my own site, I'm a guest on Vibrant Nation, a site for boomer women. I developed a yoga habit which improved my posture and added half an inch to my height. With the yoga came a sense of self, my breathing, my control, my meditation skills. I learned to use the time on my mat each day as another hour of prayer, consciously offering the poses up to God as a form of worship and submission. My yoga mat sits in a room with my icons and crosses, <clears throat> strategically positioned on each wall, so that no matter where I stand, I'm reminded of the presence of God in my practice. Some of the wisdom imparted to me by my teachers are words from the world, seeking heaven on earth, being the change we would like to see, tapping into the Imago Dei. 
Yoga, I found, when practiced with a Christian foundation, offers many tools that help me in my walk with Christ, not least the skill of focusing through steady breath, essential in contemplative prayer. This exercise on my mat was coupled with regular walks through ancient woodlands, and I managed to keep off additional boomer poundage that could be caused by the English habit of eating fish and chips, cream teas, and downing great quantities of tea and pints of bitter. I also stopped doing something I've been doing for many years, which could be called a habit too, because I couldn't imagine my life without doing it. Out of respect for and a little bit of pressure from my local peers, I began the long process of growing out my hair to its natural colour, a bright and shining white. And I need to go on a break right now, so I'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to mm-hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. At the beginning of all this, I talked about my best laid plans being blown asunder. And as our time in England drew to a close, something else happened that brought me up sharp and reminded me that I wasn't in control at all. We'd sold the flat after it had been on the market three short months. The prospective buyer agreed to complete the sale when we were ready to move out in July, giving him six months to re-establish his savings and show all his family and their dog around his latest acquisition, of which he was very proud. We sold our furniture in preparation for the move, cancelled bills and arranged for the papers to be drawn up. The sale fell through one week before we were due to fly home to Texas, throwing us into a tailspin as we reversed as many of the preparations for the sale as we could. Now we await on the Lord, still owners of two properties on opposite sides of the pond. My roots haven't been pulled up yet. My mother-in-law, after 30 years or so, has decided that she'll refrain from making black-eyed peas this year. The impact of that didn't quite hit me until she explained that she used to make enough black-eyed peas to give to her friends and neighbours, not just for herself. And she spends all day doing that, and then she delivers them to the door with cornbread. And she continued this tradition two years after her husband's death, but has decided this year to stop it. Perhaps we dispense of our traditions, habits or commitments when something happens that changes our lives, a sickness, a death or a moving on. I know for us empty nesters, the growing up of our children has brought on this longing for change. And the easiest way to facilitate a change is to stop doing one thing and start doing another. My final contributor, Jennifer Miller, is passing on her legacy of an uncommon childhood to her four children. 
She and her husband have chosen to invest most of their time and money in memories that keep instead of cars and clothes, knickknacks and noisy toys that rust or gather dust. I interviewed her on October the 14th last year as she was driving the mama bus across America without television, video games, internet or fast food. Here's what she has to say about the new year from Thailand. My name is Jennifer Miller, and I had the privilege of being a guest on this show when I was traveling across the USA with a friend and our combined 11 children on the Mama Bus Adventure, and I'm so honored to be back to contribute to the New Year's Reflections. My family is four and a half years into an open-ended world tour that has taken us to 23 countries on four continents so far. We've celebrated the New Year in the USA, in Canada, in Guatemala, in Tunisia, and this year we hope to ring it in in the Sultanate of Brunei as we push towards the equator. With each passing rotation of the planet, I become increasingly aware of the fleetingness of time, the speed with which the world turns and life spins away from us into the fabric of history. Our lives are but a moment in time, nothing more than a stitch in that tapestry. With each passing year, I find myself more resolved to live life thoroughly, intentionally, and to spend it on what really matters, people, not things. I'm not one for New Year's resolutions. It seems to me that they're little more than guilt-inducing commitments to failure. If I did make some, I surely wouldn't share them with anyone. The only thing worse than not losing that last 10 pounds of pre-baby weight would be all of you knowing that I'd failed on that front again. I do, however, make New Year's wishes or intentions. These seem less harsh than resolutions to me, more forgiving. I know myself, and I know that I can't follow through perfectly. These intentions rarely focus on the temporal. I long ago gave up trying to measure by anyone else's yardstick or to live up to the externals. Instead, my work in the new year tends to center around what's going, inside, going on inside myself and how I can improve what matters most to me, the relationships that I have with others. This year, I plan to revisit an old theme in my personal development with a renewed commitment to living my life with presence, purpose, and joy. If you'll permit me, I'd like to share what that means to me. To live with presence, to be fully in the moment that I'm in. This is a struggle for me, perhaps for you also. It's struggling with heavy loads or living out of past successes or failures. It's natural to define ourselves by what we were, where we've been, or what we've accomplished instead of focusing on where we are and who we are now. It's equally easy to live in the future, planning for the next big thing, dreaming of how it will all be better later in some capacity, or simply wishing away the pain or the struggle of the moment. It's my ongoing goal to live in the present. Everything else is an illusion. There is no past. It's gone. There's no future. It's an illusion. All I have is this moment, this day, this breath. I don't want to miss my whole life by having spent it anywhere but in the moment that I'm in. So much anxiety is created by worrying about the future or regretting the past. Conversely, there can be so much joy created by letting go of both of those illusions and just enjoying the people and the place that you're in right now, at this moment. To live life with purpose. It's easy to live life by accident, isn't it? To just mindlessly do the next thing. As a mother, I battle this tendency constantly. There's always more to do, and so much of it doesn't seem to matter. Laundry, dishes, schooling, cleaning, cooking, wash, rinse, repeat. It's hard sometimes to remember that all of those mundane things are done for a greater purpose. That the sum of family life is the development of human souls who will live on into a future we can't see and change the world in ways we cannot imagine and not simply an unending litany of mindless chores. But life is bigger than that, isn't it? Mine and yours. We have a choice every day to live by default or to live on purpose. 
It's my continual resolution to live every day on purpose, to be mindful of how even the seemingly inconsequential tasks figure into the bigger picture. My life has layers of purpose. It's my purpose as a wife and mother to create a home full of love and beauty for my husband and children, as a teacher to educate and empower the next generation, as a friend to encourage and support those who walk the path with me. It's my chosen purpose to spend my life encouraging others to chase hard after their dreams and live their lives to the fullest and to spend my days moving other people forward in their passions. Everything I do, from the laundry to this radio piece, is a means of, to those greater ends, and each moment I can choose to imbue my efforts with purpose or sell them short by living by default. I choose to live with purpose. Joy. It's a nebulous thing, isn't it? It's not the same thing as happiness, and I get so tired of being told that joy is a choice, as if it's something we can pop on like a child's dress-up mask and wear around for the day. Joy is the hardest of the three for me. It's hardest to maintain over the long haul. There are moments of intense joy, and there are numerous tiny joys to be found in small things all around us. But it's that sustained internal joy that I strive for, that I struggle towards, and too often fall short of. I don't have the answer on how to find it, but I'll tell you what I'm learning. Joy, for me, is almost 100% about what's happening inside my own head. It has very little to do with what's going on around me or what I have to be happy or sad about. Joy, for me, comes out of the relative successes at the other two goals, living with presence and purpose. When I'm not wasting the moment I'm in, when I'm viewing even the mundane through the long lens of my life overall, I'm able to maintain a joyful heart and perspective. It's when I drown in the past or am anxious for the future that I'm least able to find joy in a day and when I'm most likely to make myself miserable. My joy has little to do with other people or externals. Whether I'm joyful or not is my own choice, my own responsibility, and something I'm continually reaching towards increasing my capacity for in daily life, to live with joy. Alongside my New Year's intention to live my life with presence and purpose and joy, I'm approaching the turn of the calendar year with a renewed commitment to deepening my relationships with others and becoming a person who builds community wherever we may be. I read a book a while back that I've been noodling again recently as the new year is approaching, and I'm pondering my wish for the coming year. It's called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I found it in an English-language bookshop in Panajachel in Guatemala. I would have passed it over completely if it hadn't just been recommended by a friend. There's a lot in this book that makes a great deal of sense. And there's a lot that I found utter nonsense as well. That being said, the essence of the message of the book was seminal for me in developing how I relate to others and seek to build community around myself and for others. The premise is that there are four agreements that we should make with ourselves that will revolutionize how we relate to others and how we feel about ourselves. These four agreements form the second half of my New Year's intention as I seek to live my life with presence, purpose, and joy. What are they? The four agreements are... Number one, be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. Number two, don't take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you're immune to the opinions and action of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. Number three, don't make assumptions. Find the courage to ask questions and to express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstandings, sadness, and drama. Number four, always do your best. 
Your best is going to change from moment to moment. It will be different when you're healthy as opposed to sick. Under any circumstance, simply do your best, and you will avoid self-judgment, self-abuse, and regret. This year has been an amazing year in so many ways. From visits with friends across North America, to our first glacier climb in Iceland, to the immense privilege of helping a dear friend bring her adopted sons home from the Ukraine, to our arrival in Asia, and the long walk we're taking through history, culture, and geography of a place that's one long string of mysteries to us. It's been a privilege to walk the path with my husband and watch our children grow, to enjoy another year of health and wealth and adventure with our kids. As we step over the threshold into the new year, we'll be working our way towards the equator, another milestone in our family journey, and a path that's laid ahead of us, just around the corner, out of our line of sight. There's no way to know what the next year holds. In fact, I don't want to know. Instead, I want to begin each day with the intention to live with presence, purpose, and joy, keeping the four agreements in mind and to walk patiently to meet my destiny. Won't you join me? This is Jennifer Miller of The Adventure Project, wishing each of you the happiest of New Year's from the island of Borneo in the South China Sea. To live with presence, purpose, and joy. Three great tools to build community and deepen our relationship with others. And what's in store for me next year? Well, I'll become a mother-in-law, another stereotype to overcome, and a host of jokes and myths about my pending status to laugh about and dispel. The wedding is being planned and many lessons in financial economy are going on. Lessons in saying no and accepting that we're not like everyone else will be added to our family curriculum and how we navigate the list of wants and wishes and dreams. All this will be observed by the other siblings as we find ways to make the day heartbreakingly fresh and joyous. Respecting the need to commit in the eyes of God and marry in a church will set the stage for future unions. For me, I would like to pursue another lifelong dream, the dream of owning my own place where retreats can take place and folk can come for a few days or weeks to prepare mentally, physically and spiritually for the next phase in their lives. All of that's in God's hands and while I draw closer to his kingdom, in many ways I'm beginning to wonder if that place doesn't exist within myself. Let's remember that everything that has gone before has been has contributed to who we are today. That's it for another week and another year. I hope you've enjoyed this show and I wish you all a blessing on what you do with the Lord this coming year. This weekend sees a birthday, mine. My youngest daughter's is on Wednesday. She'll be 21, so big plans afoot. Have a truly blessed and safe new year and I'll be here same time, same place next week, next year, 2013 on Toginet Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, and my guests and contributors, Laura Lee Ellis, Walter Lemons, Shanna Godfrey, Luke Holtzman, and Jennifer Miller. I enjoyed your insights. Thanks also, all of you, to my faithful listeners. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Doodle. Happy New Year! Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. 
Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com.